back and we 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 and we back and we back hey this ain't no intro it's the entree hit that intro with Kanye I sound like Andre tryna turn my baby mama to my fiance she like music she from Houston like auntie Yonce man my daughter couldn't have a better mother if she ever find another you better love her man I swear my life is perfect I can merge it if I die dude we made a mistake using chance that's the intro <laughs> Cause I don't want to stop. I know I had to, I had to refrain from doing this little ah at the beginning there. <laughs> that would have been welcome, honestly. <laughs> we'll let him play in the background. So, uh, welcome everyone to the Two Red Gringos. This is season four, believe it or not, and we are back, as Chance so aptly put it at the beginning. We back. Uh, I'm I'm your host Phil Baki, joined as always by Patrick Staley. Patrick, it's good to be back. It's real good to be back. It's good to have you back. It's good to have you back. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you are joining us from a brand new locale now. You're uh, exotic, maybe? Ex- exotic locale? I, I am most certainly not exotic. My my location could be described as that. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, as, as those, I don't know, couple couple hundred not quite follow me on twitter no i have i have migrated to mexico city now um officially cementing my status as the most painful looking gringo um that walks these parts um but yeah <laughs> mexico city it's treating me well we're living like uh I, I was gonna say kings but that would imply that my girlfriend is a man but no i would say we're just living <laughs> we're just living well down here in mexico city yeah, that's awesome. It's been uh, it's been interesting to follow along because I think a lot of people have kind of a lot of preconceived notions about Mexico and, and Mexico City in particular, um, probably formed around the movie, the great Denzel movie, Man on Fire. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is uh, is kind of unfounded. So um, it's been interesting to follow along and, and see your adventures in the more hipster parts of Mexico City. <laughs> Yeah, it, what like if I can make it here, then then anybody's just fine because nobody sticks out <laughs> like a sore thumb more than I do uh, <laughs> when waltzing through too. So, um, but no, yeah, especially I think we saw on Twitter the other day the uh, I don't know if maybe Boston Sports Group or, or Media Group or something was uh, with the NFL coming here this weekend. Uh, yeah, there's definitely the man on fire uh, mindset that people have. Um, but no, not to worry. I'll just put on my gray suit and, and save anybody that needs, uh, that gets kidnapped. Uh, but no, it's like I said, it's just like any other city. It's amazing. It's huge coming from El Paso. Um, there is an enormous amount of stuff to do, drinks to drink, uh, food to consume. So we're loving it so far. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm now, I guess we, we have, we've had a lot a lot going on the last uh, the last nine months um, or so since our last our last adventure on the airwaves. Um, I uh, I'm happy to be back on these friendly shores of the United States, back in back in Central Texas, um, 
and uh, enjoying the Austin area. Uh, it was an interesting, interesting nine months, but definitely glad to uh, put that in the rearview mirror, that little uh, Middle Eastern adventure that I took. Yeah, I'm always interested to see whether it's through Snapchat or WhatsApp, where exactly you are. Like I've said in episodes before, I always feel like I'm getting classified information. Um, <laughs> and I, I think our uh, faithful uh, two Red Gringos listeners uh, sh- should feel privileged to get that type of uh, <laughs> to get that information. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was I was able to to hit um, in, if I include the the countries that I flew through only. Um, I, uh, I can count seven countries, uh, that I, that I was able to, to visit on this trip. So I got quite a bit of, uh, traveling under my belt and I was pretty pleased that I was able to squeeze that much into the, uh, to the nine months. Well, yeah. And I was, um, what we just had, we just had veterans day the other day. So we should have, we should have held the pot on veterans day to give you a, a, a proper celebration, but, um, <laughs> but, but cheers to you. Uh, appreciate it. And, uh, no, uh, while we say cheers, um, let's go ahead and move <laughs> on to our, everybody's favorite segment of the two red gringos, which is pick your poison. Um, we know that you've been sampling, uh, more craft Mexican fare, uh, while you've been in the CDMX. Um, so go ahead and talk us through your, your lineup for tonight. All right, so I really wanted to have um, (laughs) – there's a delivery service that will deliver literally anything. They will take out money for you. They will bring you alcohol. They will bring you groceries. Um, So I I, I wanted to make it a running thing where they deliver me uh, different types of alcohol. And I was going to start with my favorite, uh, but we just didn't have the time today. So I ran to – there's a tiny little – uh, La Belga is a tiny little, I guess you'd call it cerveceria, whatever. Um, just a little beer shop, almost literally a hole in the wall. Um, but they've got a door that you can walk through. So, uh, I picked out, uh, Insurgente is the, uh, and I believe Insurgente is based out of, um, maybe Guadalajara, but I'm not sure. Um, Mexico city itself isn't that strong in the game, but, uh, Baja, um, Guadalajara, I think, are, are, are coming on pretty strong. So Insurgente, like I was telling you before we went on air, um, definitely some more potent brews. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So right now I'm rocking a IPA. I just polished off just a normal pale ale, and then I'm moving on to a one that's a little bit stronger. They're uh, rompiolas. So if I start you know, speaking Babylonian or something, then uh, blame Insurgente. <laughs> Will do. Um yeah, uh, for this uh, for this uh, edition of the pod, I've got uh, a couple of out of town um, brews. I didn't go as local as I as I probably should. I feel I feel pretty. Uh, I feel a little like a sellout right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, you went with some wolves. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I've got a I've got a a prairie hop by uh, Prairie Artisanal Owls from uh from oklahoma city um or actually i could be wrong about that it might be tulsa um but oklahoma i i honestly it's all it all kind of blends together for me um and then i've got a uh a space cake double ipa by clown shoes which is going to be my second 
brews. So that's going to be the uh, stronger. So the end of this pod may get a little interesting. Um, but we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm I'm interested in both. It it was those nice, uh, you know, the the singles that you can get out. Um, so enjoying uh, enjoying those as we get as we get going um, and uh, and back into this new season. Enjoying. So cheers. Cheers. Let's do it. All right. So first, uh, I think we'd be remiss if we started anywhere else. Um, but with the player of, of this first half of the season um, and perhaps one of the best signings that Liverpool has ever made, um, Mohamed Salah, um, he has made an absolutely blazing fast start to life at Liverpool. And uh, can you remember a player starting their Liverpool career quite on a tear as much as Mohamed Salah? I mean, personally, no, you know, we, that what they always say, football was invented, uh, whenever the premier league started, <laughs> yeah, but 1992 for, by sky sports <laughs> for us in America, it was even later. Right. right. So, um, I mean, no, I mean, you think, uh, even when you think like the, you know, he's the most potent goal scorer that we've had since Suarez. Suarez didn't even start out uh, nearly this well. In fact, there were still a few question marks too. So, right. no, I mean, I think in at least in somewhat recent history, um, so, uh, I mean, Salah's up there with uh, with Fowler, with uh, with Sturridge, with Torres. So, in terms of just the goal scoring rate, he's been phenomenal. But I mean, also, and if you consider the transfer fee, I mean. Plus 30 million sounds like a ton, but compared to Lukaku, who as much as it pains me to admit it, has also had a, a pretty good goal scoring run, at least at the start of the season. Sure. Um, but no, Salah has been, you know, it's almost incomparable to everybody else. So uh, definitely the player of the season so far. And um, yeah, I, I'd say for, for a forward, um, it's a little bit easier to measure about as good as a start uh, as we've ever had. Yeah, I mean, watching watching him play, it's been it's been interesting because I think for some reason uh, he has gotten this from some segments of the Liverpool fan base. He's gotten this label as being wasteful with chances, um, and I think it's important to remember that you know uh, Mohamed Salah was not brought in to be a main striker he plays on the wing <laughs> and he's got 12 goals already for in all competitions for Liverpool it's an absurd return um from a winger and uh you know on pace to exceed you know 25 you know, could potentially reach the 25 30 goal mark in all competitions um and he still gets that label which just maybe shows you how ridiculous this fan base is um, yeah it's interesting because he's got what the highest in in all of europe mm-hmm. or i think it's the highest conversion rate too but there's been a couple chances that either he's missed or puts right at the keeper um but it's like you said he's a winger and i think his approach to goal scoring is normally it's just very simple very safe Um, and that's why he's bagged so many as he has, but I think that's also why he's fired a couple straight at the keeper. Um, and maybe you don't always get that from strikers, but I think what's, what we're not crediting enough is Sal's ability to get in these goal scoring positions, which 
I mean, Suarez would create his own. Um, Sturridge, to maybe a lesser extent, would also create his own. Um, but maybe he gets in the right positions. But Salah's just always there, like always on the end of a cross, whether it's with a header, whether it's just unbelievable pace. Uh, when I think about Salah, I have the reaction that Jerry Seinfeld does to Sue Ellen Mischke when he's on the stand. And he just <laughs> <laughs> he's a little reserved, but then all he, you know, he just busts out with you know the whole free swing and freewheeling attitude. So I, maybe it's the fro, but I mean, Salah's been absolutely incredible. If it was the end of the season and Salah had 12 goals, we said we would say not a bad return for a winger. So the fact that it's only November and he's already hit this mark is unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. And it, I'm very excited to see him continue to play. And especially uh, as uh, his he's he's dragged his country uh, into the World Cup, uh, scored the penalty, which took Egypt uh, to Russia 2018. So he's enjoying quite the quite the last year um, after coming over from Roma, joining LFC and now gets to go to the World Cup with his country. Um, and he will be joined in Russia by the man on the other side, on the other wing, Sadio Mane, who fired Senegal into a, into a World, Club, World Cup place as well. Um, but uh, picked up an injury in the process, potentially. Yeah, a, a very helpful injury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a very help. Normally it goes the other way. I saw, I can't remember who it was, but an amazing tweet from somebody lurking within LFC Twitter that said, you know, for, for fuck's sake, even Klopp got injured during the, <laughs> <laughs> yes, during the international break. Absolutely um, classic. But Referencing, no, obviously, and, Klopp's uh, hospitalization, <laughs> which um, he's out of the hospital now and returning to Melwood in the morning, I think. Um, but yeah, no, no one thought <laughs> he was probably just had a super really bad hangover and he just <laughs> needed to go get the IV pumped in or whatever. Um, but no, solid, solid fire in Egypt into the world cup was, I mean, that's one of the best videos I've seen. You know, Mane's was a little bit more subtle. Uh, right. I think he picked up an assist in the clincher. Um, but rightfully so I like, you know, with, I think it was Matip where we had a little bit of a, a row with the um, with this country, and and so it's good that the the nations are are giving these players time off now that they've clinched a World Cup berth. Um, great for both countries, uh, uh, especially Egypt. I think what it's been God knows how long since they've made it. Um, but no, it's finally good that we've got somebody uh, faking an injury um, to benefit <laughs> to benefit <laughs> the club and not necessarily the country. Right. Yeah, we're we're obviously very used to Sturridge picking up an injury on England duty, um, and so it's it is nice to to have a player sit out a game for his country and and come back to the club fit and raring to go. Um, obviously, Mane started um, in a surprise situation against West Ham, uh, where Jurgen Klopp had outwardly said that he was prepared to play maybe 20 or 25 minutes and then all of a sudden is is prepared to play for a full game um and not only that he he starts so is uh is Klopp beginning his uh foray into the mind games that Premier League managers (laughs) so often play I I think so I think it, it I was trying to relate it to something that 
that maybe we're a little bit more familiar with. Um, and I was thinking for uh, Popovich for the Spurs, who Klopp's a straight shooter. And so he's going to, he's especially with the players and everything up to date, um, has been really straightforward, right? And that was a right. blessing after, after kind of Brendan Rodgers' is, you know, whatever the hell he would say during press conferences. Um, but Klopp, it seems like he's venturing into that Popovich zone where, and for good reason, like why, if you're a manager and it's before a match, why would you give away certain specific tactics or let them know that a player like that is going to, you know, feature for the whole 90. Um, so it makes sense to be, to be vague or, you know, hopefully flat out lie to, to the media. And, you know, it presented us with a pretty pleasant surprise, um, for that match to see him actually feature in the starting lineup and then for, for the match as well. Absolutely. So, um, so with that, we've, we've seen, uh, Sadio Mane potentially faking, faking an injury, uh, for his country to play for his club. Meanwhile, uh, we have Felipe Coutinho who some have accused of, picking up a mysterious back injury only to then have it healed on his, his flight over the Atlantic back for Brazil (laughs) duty uh, and, and feature in, in games for Brazil. So do we have a situation where Coutinho is ensuring uh, his world cup place remains intact, despite the fact that he's not that happy playing for Liverpool? I I think so. And I, I probably wouldn't go so far to say that he's not, happy playing for Liverpool, but he, he definitely wants, he definitely wants to move to, to Barcelona. Um, (laughs) I I don't think it's the case of he was faking a knock so that, you know, just to get out of playing or whatever. I think the timing of everything with Barcelona, some fresh Barcelona rumors about the January transfer window, uh, Coutinho with a slight knock, um, and of course, I think he's right now. I think Coutinho is the type of player that's going to uh, prefer country over club. Um, and I think a lot of the other players are, are are definitely they're seeing their club route as the way to the World Cup. So, um, but I think Coutinho knows his place is set. And I don't want to say he was faking the injury, but I think it was. It, it all kind of came together that way with uh, just a slight knock, and then him being available. If he had played both matches for Brazil, then I think we would have had an issue, but he just played the one, um, uh, as a winger, uh, like, like Tite was <laughs> <laughs> so, so upset about. Um, but then he's always played him as a winger. Uh, right. but no, I think it's just, it's just a coincidence. So, so much for Coutinho. I don't think he's going to be in any place to rock the boat to put his Brazil spot in jeopardy. No. And, and that's what I, I don't think anything he's done has been malicious. Uh, which he's been he's been often accused of, but again, you know, it's LFC Twitter and it's it's fickle <laughs> and it and it they they grasp at straws at any at any opportunity. But I think I think it's important to note with Coutinho that I think some of this Barcelona stuff it stems from him missing the World Cup in 2014. Um, I think I think it's important not to overlook that because he obviously had a very good 13-14 season pulled the strings for Liverpool in midfield and it wasn't enough to take him to uh, the world cup in, in Brazil. And I think that hurt a lot. Um, I think to the point where he maybe sees this move to Barcelona as, as a way to really cement 
his place um, amongst, you know, the elite players. Um, so a lot of these moves, people question, you know, why was he so adamant to get this move to Barcelona? Why was he so fixated on it? And I think it just has to do with that lingering wound of he missed the World Cup in in 14, and I don't think he's ever really gotten over that. Um, and I, I don't know if that if that's why, but I think it I think it definitely plays a part because he obviously has a lot that he owes Liverpool, but that's the one spot uh, where Liverpool maybe did him a little bit of a disservice, only because if he's at a you know a Barcelona or a Madrid or you know one of the truly elite clubs um, right now, the you know top top clubs in Europe, then probably he makes it um, into the 2014 world cup. So I think, I think that might still be a fresher wound that some of us, than some of us, uh, kind of imagine. Yeah. I, in, but you can't fault. I mean, at, at that time for in 2014, Phil was still kind of in that is he or isn't he zone, you know, number Absolutely. one, he's not, he's not going to crack Barcelona squad in those years. No. And he really didn't kind of cement himself as, we had always called for him to be a consistent player and he didn't really cement that until uh, I'd say probably even last year in terms of the level that, you know, a a country like Brazil would need um, a club like Barcelona uh, would come calling for as well. So I think he's at that point now. Um, But no, I think, I think that is definitely something that people are overlooking is that kind of burn that you feel when you're, on the cusp and he was certainly on the cusp in that 13, 14 season to make that, that Brazil squad. Um, I don't know if he's stopping Germany from (laughs) absolutely dismantling them. (laughs) Probably Um, not. Had more to do with, uh, Tiago Silva being out, but you know, (laughs) but having, having missed that, I think that that is Coutinho's sole focus right now is doing everything that he can to not only be healthy, um, but to be match fit and and have the type of form where he's going to be on the starting 11, no questions asked for Brazil. Absolutely. So with, with all this talk um, about Coutinho, uh, we, we've all kind of accepted, I think the idea that, that Felipe Coutinho is going to be a Barcelona player next summer. Um, It just, it has that, that air of inevitable, wow. Inevitability about it. Um, but the other player who perhaps will see the exit door uh, for a lot less money than Phil Coutinho, potentially zero point zero zero dollars, is is another midfielder, Emre Chan. Um, with Nabi Keita, uh, which the date that he joins Liverpool is in our bio on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, uh, with Liverpool being linked to a player who kind of plays in a similar role to Coutinho can play in the midfield, can play on the wing, um, can play in the 10, uh, with, uh, Goretzka from Schalke being linked. Um, is there credence to the idea that, that both Phil and Emre could be, uh, off this summer with, with Nabi and, Leon in as their replacements. 
it it would be a lot better <laughs> if they weren't just replacements. <laughs> but given I, I don't know, I'd say given what transpired in our glorious um, transfer window this summer that failed miserably, um, <laughs> I I think it's it's pretty clear that that those players are being lined it lined up as replacements. Um, and for uh, Kaito, we kind of know it would be amazing to have maybe Kaito playing the the role that Wijnaldum's playing right mm-hmm. now and add just a completely different level with Coutinho and maybe Henderson or whoever else as the holding midfielder. Um, that's the dream. But with with the way things shaping up, I I don't know. With Chan, it seems so like such an impasse of I don't know if it's wages. Uh, it, it could be a release clause. But the honest, the honest truth to it is, like towards the end of the season, we were saying give give Chan whatever he wants. But right. the way that he's played this season, it's eh, okay if we can lose you for free and bring in um, Goreska for a free as well. That to me is pretty good business because um, I think he's a much more kind of solidified player than Chan is, uh, and Chan is yet to really hit that kind of consistency that we want from him too. So. Uh, Coutinho's definitely off. I think Chan, there's still a lot of question marks. Um, but again, going back to Coutinho, I think if there's any type of difficulty with the transfer and it puts the the Brazil move in jeopardy, um, I don't think he rolls the dice. So that's our only hope of keeping Coutinho with Chan. I just I think there's too much uncertainty and whatever's going on behind closed doors that we're not privy to. We just we really have no idea. But he's got basically a month and a half left <laughs> until it's <laughs> until he's up for grabs. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if, if, uh, Juventus or other top clubs come calling. Yeah. I can definitely see Chan making a move, uh, um, over to the continent. So the only, the only thing that to me makes, and you know, if it is, we already know, you know, Nabi Keita's on his way in there, there's no, you know, it's not speculation at this point. So, so solidifying that deal is by far some of the best business that that Liverpool has done in, yeah, in recent memory. But, um, the Goretzka question, I guess, is how, how, what will that business look like after the World Cup when he, yo, know, he he has featured for Germany. Um, recently he has featured in the Confederations Cup most prominently and and played really well and and probably pushed up towards maybe not a starting spot in that German side but but certainly a uh, you know one of the first choices off the bench and so the only question then is what does that business look like because if you can get get Goretzka on a free then it's obviously a, a brilliant piece of business and if Emre Chan leaves on a free, then maybe it's less of a loss because Keita is is more or less going to fill the role that that we currently see Emre fill, where he goes box to box, um, yeah, with Henderson playing the six, you know, more more traditional defensive role. Keita is best when he's able to basically touch the ball as much as possible, and Goretzka you would want to see in that more Coutinho role when he does play in midfield of able to push forward um, and press, but not really, he's not really going to be relied on, you know, around our own six yard box or, uh, you know, 18 yard box. So I think if we can get Goretzka for free, then, 
then obviously it's it's a brilliant piece of business along the lines of of Matip. But if Chan does end up leaving on a free and, and doesn't agree a contract, it it just leaves a, a bitter taste only because he's he spent all this time at the club. Um, we spent ten million on him from Leverkusen, and he's obviously much a much more complete player than he was at that point. So losing him for no money does feel like a loss. Um, but if I guess if we can get the right replacement for for cheap as well, then then we may be able to to better stomach it. Um, yeah, because a lot of it has been down to at least kind of what we see uh, in terms of negotiations and all that. It just kind of seems to be uh, whether it's release clause or whatnot that FSG or whoever's doing the negotiating is kind of you know drawing a line in the sand and saying like we're not we're not going to give into this right. um, this which, aggression will not it, stand man yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine John Henry in a you know big Lebowski esque kind of role. I don't know. I can't. I definitely can't see him as as a dude. But uh, <laughs> but no. Shout out to John Henry for for taking the uh, taking the taking the tube the other day. And yeah. another another hit on LFC Twitter was John Henry pretending like he's poor shortly before <laughs> shortly before the that was window. Another um, another classic. But no, I think for them, it's that's what makes the Gresca rumors a little bit. Maybe you know we're 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 skeptics now after all that's happened, um, but that that is what makes the the Chan negotiations seem to make sense. That why would you ever lose Emery Chan? Why would you let a release clause come between you and and signing a player that you could then sell? Um, but I get the fact that they don't want to set a precedent for re- release clauses. And then if you also know that you're bringing in a player um, of equal or greater ability for free then it's easier to swallow letting that, you know, because Chan kind of represented the FSG strategy, right? Him, him. And I, I, I'd say maybe a little bit like Origi where you're mm-hmm. bringing in these players for, you know, maybe around 10 million and, and you're expecting them to become world-class. Um, right. Chan isn't at that point, but I, I think he does kind of represent the FSG strategy. Um, and so to let him go for free, I, I'd have to assume that they've got something else lined up um, in terms of who they could bring in. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I certainly agree with, with the idea that um, I think they have a plan beyond uh, Emery Chan. And, and that's the reason that he's it's, they've let it get to this, to this point. I, I really don't believe like other, like other people, again, will go to, you know, LFC Twitter. Um, <laughs> they they just think that it's pure negligence. Like, like people at FSG just aren't even thinking about the fact that, oh, crap, like what was I supposed to do today? I was supposed to talk to Emre Chan about his contract. <laughs> totally slipped my mind, you know? It doesn't make any sense. So so I think that's, I think that's what... Uh, I, what people kind of forget is obviously there are discussions happening. Obviously there's, you know, there's probably one person focused on, on the Emre Chan contract contract talks. Um, so it, it isn't, I think the calamity that everyone, that everyone thinks it is, but certainly obviously if he, if he goes to Juventus and, 
and is a success, then everyone will point to it as, you know, the one, the one that got away yeah. and, uh, had, had we only given him more time, et cetera. It, it, it's just, it's the nature of the beast at this point, I think. Um, but you mentioned Divock Origi and, and it's not, I'm going off script here, but it's I want just to mention, uh, big div, uh, obviously on loan at Wolfsburg, he's made nine appearances for, for Wolfsburg and he's got four goals and an assist um, in those nine appear nine appearances, um, and yeah, I mean overall he's done he's done quite well for the Bundesliga side. Um, made an impact. He's he's kind of become a fan favorite down there. Um, do you think uh, Do you think Divock gets a gets a second chance at Liverpool when he comes back in the summer? Because Wolfsburg paid ten million just for him to play for this one season, but they do not have a, a a purchase clause at the end of his loan period. Yeah. Yeah, for Rigi, I think he'll be uh, <laughs> and for the FSG out crowd, this could be beneficial. I think he would <laughs> kind of be I don't know, because he hasn't proven anything for us. And it would be tough to say, okay, come on back and let's let's feature you in the squad at some point because he's not he's not going to be an out and out starter you know i don't think he's ever going to touch in the bundesliga what he needs to do to come back and say oh i'll knock Firmino off his spot as, as our primary number nine or our striker right um so i don't know i i i honestly don't really want to see Uriki go because i think he's got a lot of untapped potential and he's mm-hmm. he's shown some amazing flashes for it for us but I mean, it, it's all about the fees. So if you're FSG and you buy a player for what was Rigi around 10 million and we've already made that back from a loan. Right. If they come back and say 25, 30 million, I mean, that's, that's the type of business that you get excited about on FIFA. So sure. I, I think it's very much kind of the, the ideal kind of corporate approach where you're going to make a ton of money off that. Um, right. but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think Origi still has something left to prove for LFC. I just don't, it's hard to envision the scenario where where he gets to see that. Um, I think people have called for uh, you know a more when Firmino kind of hit his dry spell, uh, maybe a few a few games before. Uh-huh. People were calling you know why Klopp needs to go out and buy an Obama Yang or uh, Lewandowski, so you know that twenty thirty goal striker, saying that Firmino isn't it. So you know I don't know if Firmino will ever be that, but. I don't think Origi's going to do enough to to knock him off his his perch enough to the point where, you know, if it, it's either Firmino or a big money signing at striker, um, right. and I can't see Origi surpassing either of those. Yeah, I'm gonna just quickly plug Bobby Firmino because one because he's <laughs> on the back of my shirt, but two because he brought him up. I he is, uh, and I just. I think he's underappreciated because he's so vital to the way that we play and, and so vital to the success of, of the Salas and Manes who to their credit or, you know, receive the credit, but, and rightly so there's no, there's no, uh, there's no shame in that. They, they deserve the credit. Um, but Firmino has done so much hard work, uh, that goes unappreciated, or underappreciated um, for for Liverpool, and I I think because of his importance, you can tell even when we need a goal 
and bringing on Sturridge or Solanke seems like the obvious answer. Klopp is reluctant to bring Firmino off because he does so much in creating chances, holding up play. Uh, he's skillful on the ball. He is able to, you know, create chances for himself, create chances for others. It's very, he's so vital to the way that Klopp plays, I think, that it that it becomes very difficult for him to bring him off. So it's tough for guys like Origi or Solanke or even Sturridge to get, to get minutes. So when he comes back, I think there's going to be a real evaluation into, you know, what does, what does Origi bring to the way that we play? And, you know, if we can get a big fee out of someone for him, then I, I'd say we probably jump at it. Yeah, I think they will. And for Firmino too, the, he, he can exist in this role and thrive because we've got Salah who's just bagging goals at an incredible rate. And now we've got hopefully potentially Mane back and healthy right. who we know has just got goals in him too. Um, yeah. And so now that that kind of frees up for Mino to not be, I think we were not necessarily joking, but making bets at the start of, you know, is how many is for going to bag if he's the, the full-time penalty taker. Um, <laughs> but he, I mean, we don't need that out and out striker if we've got, our wing players bagging 20 goals plus right. uh, season, which I think Mane and, and Salah are both capable of. Um, so no, I, I, I think, you know, with, with a healthy Sturridge um, as, as a potential backup, if, if we need a more out and out striker. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what, where Riggy fits into this and uh, luckily he's doing well in, in the Bundesliga at Wolfsburg. So Maybe maybe it'll work out best for everybody. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so with Liverpool's offensive side being one of probably the most uh, creative, I think uh, up there what, with with in City. the Premier League and in and in Europe, right? The most, yeah, at least most chances created. Most chances God help created. us on <laughs> on <laughs> our goals to actually expect. <laughs> right, most chances created. Um, not most goal scored. I think that belongs to City. But but either way, uh, we're doing plenty on the offensive side of the ball. So it's time to finally bring the conversation to the to the point where I think we you know most LFC fans focus, which is the state of our defense. Uh, and is it uh, is it that we need a true? defensive midfielder a true number six because I think we've all reached a point where you know we know that Jordan Henderson can play in that deep lying role but he's much more of a, a playmaker from back there than he is a yeah. a defensive mid um or is it time to just switch to you know a two-man midfield uh with one person mainly handling the defensive duties and one person going forward rather than the kind of three that we play in midfield right now, uh, most consistently under Klopp. So I've got, I've got a bone to pick with LFC Twitter again for this, <laughs> for this discussion. I was in, do. uh, uh and of all things we were doing plant shopping and I was drinking, um, Oh my God. What's the, what the ancient Mesoamerican drink? I'm drawing blanks. Uh, you got your tequila, you got your mezcal, and keep going back 
all the way to the Aztecs. Wow, you're you're taking it back further than my uh, than my spirits knowledge goes. I think. <laughs> uh, um, Is it something to do with right. Oaxaca? Uh, well, that's that's where we get the because that's the pristine, region. The pristine plants from oh, pulque, pulque. It's pulque. Wow, pulque. So I'm drinking. We're in Tipotzatlan, um, at, we go plant shopping with, um, our landlord and her husband, um, because the prices are just better there and she's getting a truck anyway. Um, <laughs> so we go down there and it's the day of the match and I can't get out of it because my girlfriend absolutely loves plants. And, <laughs> you know, we spent, uh, both she and her sister were shopping for plants on the same day. Her sister shopping in Manhattan and what we paid in pesos, I think they paid in dollars. Um, so basically, a, My God. a markup, a markup <laughs> of about a thousand percent. Um, seriously. Uh, so I'm following along with the match on Twitter, and maybe what ten, five, ten minutes into it, LC Twitter is going nuts about a change in formation. Oh, absolutely um, freaking so, out! So uh, freaking out, right? Freaking out! Everybody, everybody was saying it. Three and at the saying, back. Yeah, three at the back, four four two. Uh, Simon Brundish, my new favorite one. Gerard says four four two, and he says if Gerard thinks this is a four four two, he's not getting his you know, whatever certification he need to be a coach. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, I'm you know I'm jacked to the tits now to get back and watch the replay of this match. Um, and I'm watching, I'm like, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing looks different at no. all. And I see report, you know, Klopp at the end of the match is like. You know, we went to a four four two, and I think it was Echo that was like, "Oh yeah, you know, they went back to the traditional four four two. You're out of your damn mind if you think that was a four four two. We looked, I mean, we looked definitely disjointed in in midfield, um, but I think it, it it was definitely some type of change in, in tactics. But it didn't look that extreme. If anything, uh, I'm going to go with the I think it was City that that did it maybe a few years ago, the four two two two. And as much as I hate the term, Dan Kennett rocked the double pivot. <laughs> if Dan <laughs> Kennett used it, then it's perfectly acceptable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to commit. But knowing Dan, he did it because it – okay, now it actually applies. Where maybe in a, a four two two two, however many twos you got in there. Yeah. Like, it, then that may actually turn into um, uh, some, type, some type of double pivot. I mean I just don't think we've got – with maybe Chan to a greater extent, but Henderson in that role, neither of them has shown that they can offer protection for, for a back four. Um, no. And <laughs> we need it because we've either got, if uh, Trent's featuring, he's going to be pushed a lot forward than, than Gomez usually is. If Moreno, who's, you know, we didn't even give credit to Moreno, who's had a, a great bounce back season, but I'm not getting too jacked about it. Um, we have to be cautious in our praise for Moreno. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that. He's still so one-footed, but anyway. Yeah. That neither of our midfielders, the the we know Wijnaldum wasn't brought on for that, but Chan Henderson, neither of them, even if they don't have a designated position to say, hey, you're protecting this back line, which I don't think Klopp really has. No. Um, neither of them have that kind of defensive prowess that you still need. Right. If you're going to be filling in between the center backs or right in front of them, you still need somebody in that role too. So as good as Henderson was last season before he got injured, I, I still think that's 
aside from center back goalkeeper, that's the position where we could have the greatest impact to bring, to improve on, to improve on Henderson. Um, as much as he can kind of drive the squad when he's at a hundred percent, I still think that's our, our creative positional player, um, where we can improve the most on. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to talk, like we just talked the state of, of our defense and, and focus mainly on the midfield. And I think that's where LFC Twitter kind of falls apart because they, they focus so much on center back as the area where we can improve. And it overlooks so many, so many other issues, um, in playing defense in yeah. the in you know in the game that is football um there there's so much that surrounds the actual back four um that it's so easy to fixate on the center backs and and granted i mean Lovren has been absolutely <laughs> terrible like i'm not even going to i don't want to commit it's it's a new low it's a new low. I don't want to commit any time on the Lovren has been terrible, but when when it's been Matip and and Klavan, the I mean the city game is the anomaly in this, but the city game was an anomaly in many ways. Uh, it, the bottom line is is that it it's so easy to focus on oh you know our center backs clearly need, we're letting in too many goals. Our center, we need new center backs. And, uh, and it's just so it's like a reductionist view of, you know, how we play defense and, and how yeah. we defend as a team. Um, and that, and that I think if we saw a guy in a, in a, you know, kind of Mascherano role, a true destroyer in midfield, uh, I think we would see a lot of, a lot of difference in the way, that we play a guy who is literally dedicated to breaking up the opponent's play. That's all he does. Um, we don't have that right now. Henderson is a, it, you know, he, when he plays in that deep lying role, he's looking to start attacks. He's looking to connect, you know, the defense and, and the forwards. He's, he is much more of a, com- I would say complete midfielder, than a guy like a Mascherano or a Lucas who normally when they played, they were strictly focused on, you know, destroying whatever was going on um, as the opponent came forward. So it's so easy to focus on the center backs as, as the ones to, you know, criticize in this situation. But I, I think until we get someone who's dedicated to breaking up the opponent's play, um, in our half, uh, then, then maybe we, we won't see the success, um, defensively that we, that we want. Um, cause it's not since, you know, Mascherano and, and the Benitez years that we, that we saw a truly solid, you know, Liverpool defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, we look ahead to the weekend and we've got this Saturday, uh, We've got a 9 a.m. kickoff, so or 9 a.m. Central Time. Not uh, bad, yeah. Mexico so nice, City Central Time. Nice, I'm loving uh, it. A nice, nice mid-morning kickoff <laughs> um, against Southampton, who currently holds the contract to the player who most Liverpool fans <laughs> wanted to play center back for Liverpool this year, Virgil Van Dyke. Um, and I want to get your prediction 
for Southampton. Um, who do you think is going to grab the goals and, uh, and which way is this game going to go? Because Southampton Liverpool over the years has been a tricky fixture um, for the Reds. They've been tough. I mean, how, what, did we score a, goal, score a goal against them last season? Not a one, one in they, four yeah. games. Four games. Four games they blanked us. Um, not Saturday. Not Saturday. I'm going – Southampton's still been a little stingy so far this season. I got to go – I don't know. I don't know why I want to say cliche, but a 3-1 sounds a little – maybe 2-1's a little bit more cliche. But I'm going to go 3-1 um, in, in the Snapchat video that I sent you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure – is putting, I mean, he's, you know, Egyptian is, is more, more Arab than our, what we typically think of here in Africa. It's, it, yeah. It's Arab, is, Arab is, African. Is it offensive? Is it offensive to put a, whether they're Egyptian or Senegalese on Snapchat <laughs> to, to put a, I mean, it, it's about as literal blackface as you can get. Um, <laughs> But and and being swap, being a though. gringo, being somebody that always sticks out and communities for into his own, I always try to stay away from that. Um, <laughs> but I <laughs> but I donned Salah's face on Snapchat. I sent it to you and I said, you know, Salah a goal and an assist. Um, right. I, I'll say, you know, if Coutinho and Mane are both back in the side, I say we got a one two three of Coutinho, Mane, and Salah um, all bagging a goal. And then I'm also going to say uh, Big Verge. Uh, is that the nickname from Tombstone? Verge? Big Verge? I don't know. Just Verge. <laughs> Verge is going to bag a goal because who – what did they say? Previously it was uh, Mane and Klein that right. also scored against Liverpool for Southampton um, before they came over. So I'm going to say 3-1. Liverpool right. picks up a win, continues the form of scoring three goals. Yeah. Uh, uh, Big Verge scores a goal, and then in January he joins to uh, solidify our defense. So I'm going to go I'm going to go with a 4-1. Uh I think uh I think Bobby gets two. Mm. Salah and Mane each grab one. Uh I think it's going to be an absolute drubbing. Um and I don't know why I feel that, I guess. Um but Southampton doesn't intimidate me to the to the level that they potentially did yeah. in, in the past. Um, I don't think they offer really anything going forward. Um, they've been extremely average uh, as this, as the season has, has wore on. And uh, I think we have a game where people start to question the fact that we pursued the, the signing of Virgil van Dyke, where <laughs> I think he may have a very bad game um, just to send that, you know, uh, segment of LFC Twitter into a, into a absolute just frenzy of <laughs> have we, have we focused on the wrong guy all this time? Uh, <laughs> or they may all just say, as I, as I, uh, tweeted at, uh, our friends over at the, uh, LFC podcast couch, um, the Australian, uh, a few Australian reds. I, I tweeted at them that, you know, people would just say that, VVD was uh you know a red at heart this whole time if he if he had a bad game against Liverpool I he's like been it. red at heart and he's agent VVD and <laughs> you know we should sign him obviously just on the back of a a terrible performance against Liverpool 
I like that. Anything that involves the word agent on LLC Twitter is normally is has normally been a hit too. But no, I think I think a four four to one scoreline would do wonders uh, for talking points on the podcast. So yeah. um, I, I want to side with you and God help us if it help us if it's nil nil. I think that would be <laughs> that would be a, a lovely result for Southampton. But I I feel like things are are, are clicking for us now. I think I think we've got. We've gotten through hopefully our rough patch of the season, yeah. and because we're we're creating, like we said, we're the most creative team or one of the most creative teams in the Premier League and in Europe, um, and so it's just all about kind of finishing those chances. And I think we've got right. a really healthy squad now. Um, knock on wood, and you know maybe <laughs> we can splice in a moment of silence for for Klein. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. But but I think I, I think it's it's starting to come together, and I feel like we're we're starting to get goals that, that we deserve, even if we may not deserve them on the chances that, that they come <laughs> from. Um, so hopefully that continues against Southampton. We've got uh, something to be excited about in the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think it's, it's one of those moments where um, we, we finally have the chance to come out of a international break healthy. Uh, we have the chance to, maintain some momentum from right before the international break, yeah. the, the result against West Ham. And I, I, I think for once we take advantage of that, um, against the Southampton team that just, they just haven't impressed me this season. Um, so speaking of things that haven't impressed me, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had, we had, I, I'm not going to dedicate even one, one second of this, of this podcast to, U.S. soccer and and no. the whole ilk, but today uh, all thirty two teams that made the World Cup um, were you know solidified. Peru, the last team to qualify with a very emotional win over New Zealand in in uh, in Peru. Uh, if you haven't seen the videos, it's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Just the scenes, hashtag scenes. <laughs> uh, all over Peru. It's, it's so cool to see a, to see a country like that qualify that it, it just means so much to them. Um, and it, it, it's great. Um, if you haven't seen it, but so I, uh, this morning I was on, I was on uh Twitter and I saw that the guardian had a, uh, a <laughs> world cup draw app or, you know, little program that, that, uh, would do a mock draw, um, following the the rules of the of the World Cup draw, and so I I drew out some groups, and uh, the actual draw itself is on is on December first. Um, but I thought yeah. it might be might be a fun exercise to talk some of our <laughs> uh, some of these fake groups, only because some of these are are truly uh, kind of intriguing, and seeing some of the possible combinations in this world cup there's some there's some very good matchups especially for some of the reds involved uh in in the world cup so i just want to talk through some of these so i'll i'll list off the group and then you can kind of give me your feedback um just right. here in these here in these so we've got a uh, fire away so we've got group a so obviously the first team drawn out as as is tradition is, is russia the hosts um and then we've got in a group with them. We've got Croatia, so Dejan Lovren, 
Senegal, uh, uh, Sadio Mane, and Australia, uh, which their their biggest player right now, obviously uh, Aaron Moy from from Huddersfield, who you know obviously have the connection through Klopp to David Wagner, who's um, half American, half German, but was an assistant at Dortmund, now the head coach of Cutter, of, uh, of Huddersfield. Um, and Aaron Moy has had kind of a breakout season. And uh, Australia qualified for the World Cup via a playoff against... Um, God, who was it now? Um, I'm completely blanking. Oh, wait, it wasn't... Was it Peru or did Peru get in? No, that Peru got in against New Zealand. Oh, it was Honduras. Yeah, yeah. Honduras. So Honduras at the expense of Honduras. So we've got Russia, Croatia, Senegal, and Australia in Group A. I mean, what am what am I supposed to do with with any of those countries? (laughs) (laughs) No, I. So so here's my here's 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 my kind of thought, I guess, about Group A. We've got two reds drawn against each other in, in Lovren and Mane. And I think you've yeah. got one who has a potential to be a hero, one who has a potential to be a villain, and and really doesn't have the chance to be a hero, period. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing Lovren can do that will I'm, I, I was gonna say endear himself with LFC fans, but I'm gonna say endear himself with sensible LFC fans. Because <laughs> I didn't think anything could defeat uh Egyptian Twitter. And the one thing that has so far this year (laughs) was some type of misguided, God knows what, what feeling it was to make Lovren the player of the month. I don't know. (laughs) I I can't imagine who I can't imagine who, Um, but Lovren will always be the villain. I think that's the one kind of talking point for us. Russia. I hope they go down in flames, Uh, but Mane embarrassing Lovren. Uh, would make for a hell of a talking point on the two red gringos. Oh, absolutely. And I I think, honestly, coming out of this group, we have the potential for a Croatia, which probably the best team in Europe to come through the playoffs. Um, yeah. To, I I think they advance. They they have so much quality. Um, Modric is, is probably one of my favorite players, you know, outside of, of Liverpool. Such a skillful player. But the bottom line is Croatia have so much quality. Senegal have Mane, that electric kind of talent that that turns heads. Um, so I think we have the potential to see two two reds in the knockout stages out of that out of that group because Australia they they will put up a fight every year, but yeah. I don't know that they have the quality. Um, they're still reliant on a you know. 65 year old Tim Cahill. Uh, <laughs> now in his 14th World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> and and Russia always have a way of blowing it at the World Cup. So um so I think Group A, honestly, we could see see Lovren and Mane in the in the knockout stages. Um my group B is probably the, the most foregone conclusion of all time with <laughs> Germany, Peru, Tunisia, and Panama. Um I see Germany with a goal differential of maybe plus twenty-five uh, in three matches across across this this group B. Um, it could be just an absolute massacre if this if this is anything like the actual the actual draw. 
Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about, hey, we're not going to have – there's nothing really like a group of death that, that will seem to come from this. Um, but if this was Germany's real group, this would be the group of death simply because they're going – to absolute slaughter <laughs> <laughs> all of the other squads yeah. that are in this group. Um, uh, but yes, <laughs> aside from that, I mean, you just go one, two, you go Germany, you go Peru. Um, yeah. yeah. In this one. Cause I, I just can't, you know, I can't see the minnows doing anything. No. So we've got in group C, we've got uh, in a couple of interesting matchups and, and another red. So we've got, We've got France, Switzerland, uh, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia um, in Group C. So France, kind of automatic favorites. They they have such a strong squad. Lacazette, uh, Lamar, Mbappe. Uh, I mean, the list goes on for for French talents. Um, so you kind of see them as a as a group winners. But that fight for second is is a little less straightforward. I think. Switzerland m- might see themselves as as favorites, but Egypt with Mohamed Salah, uh, a a tough prospect, um, maybe tougher than you know past years than in this uh, in this World Cup. So could potentially see uh, you know one current LFC winger outdo a someone we always assumed would join LFC in Jordan Shakiri. <laughs> <laughs> so in my, in my dream scenario, uh, Switzerland, Switzerland goes top of the group and <laughs> Egypt defeats France on, in the final match, uh, oh. because Pogba's back healthy and is too busy dabbing or doing handshakes <laughs> and Salah sneaks in, uh, to sc- <laughs> <laughs> to score an extra time winner, um, oh, that would be but no, brilliant. I, honestly though, I think for, I I mean it, it, I don't know if teams are getting better, if it's just there's a lot of talent watered down, or if more clubs are just more concerned about club than country. But I I I mean all the better teams you can have make it through as much as we might dislike Pogba and United, mm-hmm. but uh, France going through I think would be <laughs> would be best from the viewing standpoint. Sure. So group group D uh it starts to get interesting for for uh I would say <laughs> current and former reds. So group D <laughs> I have drawn as as Belgium, Uruguay, Denmark and Japan. Um which is the first thing approaching a group of death I think only yeah. because obviously Belgium is is probably one of the favorites this year uh at the World Cup in, in terms of making you know maybe at least kind of the expectation is that they make a a semifinal um and and that's only you know it's on the back of uh Lukaku's good start uh Simon Mignolet's resurgence you know <laughs> um but we have you know Luis Suarez playing for Uruguay and then uh and then in Denmark uh it used to be Daniel Agger's territory not so much <laughs> not so much anymore but uh Christian Eriksen hit yeah. hit a hat trick against Ireland to to qualify. Um, so we have and and Japan one of the strongest teams in, strongest teams in Asia. Um, so we have have the potential for some interesting matchups and and some tough some tough obstacles for for Belgium and Uruguay to kind of navigate uh, as the favorites. Yeah, I, and this one's interesting because 
everybody, I think, expects Belgium to take that next step um, just because they've got an unbelievable amount of talent on that squad. Um, But there's no kind of clear cut. Belgium should be, um, you know, Uruguay with Suarez are always going to be a threat. But both Denmark's got some young talent. Japan um, is pretty solid. So this one's just kind of it's kind of like a group of death because you're not sure who who the two clear cut favorites uh, are going to be that make it through. Um, but I don't know what it is about Suarez. You know, even when he's talking about Coutinho should join Barcelona, he'd add a lot. We should hate him. I still <laughs> I want to see Suarez get. I don't want to see him bite anybody because um, it was what God. It was four years ago in this World Cup where kind of yeah. Origi made a name for himself. Yeah. Uh, top Lukaku and and it was kind of the the number one striker on the squad that year um Suarez Big you know Chiellini. decided to sink his teeth <laughs> into the I remember sitting in that pub and thinking oh my god all right he's gone um but no I, I still always want Suarez to do well I have no idea why um <laughs> I maybe it's just his way, passion but... for the club I don't or for the game I don't know but yeah. no I think uh Belgium's, even though they're the favorites, is such a big question mark right. just because of the amount of talent they have. Um, and I don't know. We haven't heard much, but I think leading up to the World Cup, uh, they've got so many kind of star players that the pressure is going to mount on them to really deliver in the groups, but like you said, to make it to, you know, potentially a semifinal. Yeah. I, uh, when I list off the players on Belgium, you think about Lukaku and Dries Mertens and uh, – I mean, even Origi and, and, and like all of these players. But then I, I think about two Italy who just missed out on the world cup at the expense of, you know, at the expense of Sweden yeah, uh, or Sweden made it at the expense of Italy. Um, and I list off the players on Italy and I think Bellotti and Insigne and, and, and uh, so, you know, it's just a reminder, I guess that, the having all of that talent doesn't necessarily equal, you know, success at the world cup. And, um, and that's what keeps it interesting. So you have a team like it, like Uruguay who has done really well over the last two world cups. Um, and, uh, and a guy like Suarez who is that difference maker and, and maybe you have a, a more interesting group. So, so moving on to group E, um, this is a, a quick one more so I guess, but, a, a group of death in its own right. So you've got Poland, Spain, uh, Costa Rica, and South Korea. So you've got probably one of the best strikers in the world surrounded by, you know, pretty good players in, in Poland. Yeah. Spain, which has a lot of kind of a, a mix of young and old. Costa Rica coming out of CONCACAF, uh, you know, out at the expense of the United States. <laughs> and then South Korea, who, again, you know, qualifying out of Asia and them and Japan being the top Asian sides, you know, kind of as is tradition. Um, but almost an interesting mix of more complete teams in Group E, um, yeah. more so than, than you know, outstanding individual stars. Yeah, I think maybe, yeah, uh... Poland definitely has their out and out star, but yeah, Spain Spain's an interesting one because they've they've kind of been firing in in recent matches on all cylinders. So um, I don't know. I think for Spain, if it's even with whether it's young or old, their style of play they can still kind of dictate um, the run of the match. For them, I think it's always been about who's going to be kind of their 
their key striker and their key key goal scorer. So I think Morata is going to be a big mm-hmm. uh, kind of the the main kind of centerpiece in terms of who's uh, how well Spain are going to do. I think given that group, you would almost automatically assume Spain's going to get through. Right. But we could have said that about. <laughs> uh, the the 2014 World Cup as well. So sure thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it, I think they they'll probably be playing with a chip on their shoulder, and that always adds a little bit to it. Right. Um, but no, not not taking anything away from Costa Rica or South Korea, who could feel good teams. I think uh, Poland's definitely the one of the more talented uh, of the the remaining three. Yeah, I think I think the this tournament has a potential to be a James Rodriguez type tournament for Marco Asensio. Um, obviously he's already at Real Madrid, so it, it's not one of those breakout tournaments in terms of being identified by a big club, but it could be one of those tournaments where, where Asensio kind of becomes that young talent of the future of, you know, this is the next big thing in Europe kind of following up the, the Messi's and Ronaldo's of the world. Yeah. Um, so depending on how, you know, how he shows and, and if he kind of shows up for this world cup, I think, I think that could be the one to watch uh out of spain in in group f this is where it gets interesting and and your your adopted homeland uh <laughs> comes into play out of out of Concacaf. so a tough draw for mexico but honestly a tough draw for each of the teams in this group this is if if we get close to a group of death this is probably it um group f is brazil mexico iceland and serbia um so <laughs> Brazil, obviously one of probably the top teams in the world right now, um, along with Germany, they they probably see themselves as finalists. They've been they cleaned up at, at the South American qualifying, finished top of of the qualifying group and with ease. Um, and uh, and Mexico uh, similarly, you know, dominated North North and Central America. Um and have some very exciting attacking players. Um, but Iceland obviously proved to be a tough out at the Euros. Um, yep. And Serbia have have quite a few um, solid players playing across, across Europe right now. So maybe of all the groups, this is the closest we get to a, to a group of death. <laughs> it's almost like not groups of death, but uh, I don't want to use the word, mediocrity but I'm, I'm going to use it groups of mediocrity where you're just like we don't we don't know who's going to get through right um but i kind of like serbia because i feel like they're not not the poor man's version of belgium but i'd say the homeless man's version <laughs> of belgium where they've got a lot they've got a lot of good like pretty talented players on the squad um who you know if it all clicks then they could get through the group same as like belgium if belgium if it all clicks they could win the World Cup. For Serbia, if it all clicks, they could get through the group. Um, for Iceland, I don't know. They, they've got awesome fans. Um, but uh, for Brazil, it's it's still they still got that feeling of, as much as they've dominated so far um, in recent international competition, they still got that 2014 feel to them where, right. they, you know, Brazil, they carry the weight of, some of the greatest teams of all time, right? Some of the greatest players of all time. So they've always got just an unbelievable, I'd say maybe uh, up there or maybe second only to England in terms of the pressure um, that's put on the country and, and the players that play for it. Um, right. 
but but I don't know. They've got so many good young players, and I think with with all that they have between uh, Neymar, Jesus, Firmino, and if they if Tite actually plays Coutinho in the midfield, where despite wherever he plays for club, um, he could actually do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think Brazil. I don't know. I, I I mean, I think the entire world wants is is happy when Brazil plays well, when Brazil does well. Um, and so I think they'll make it through the group. No problem. But right. the expectation of Brazil is win the world cup and anything short of that just is, is just not good enough. So right. I think the challenge falls on Mexico to, you know, they've been, they had a good run of form for what a few years ago, but, but recently they, they've been pretty good, but just to be able to see through uh, Iceland and Serbia, which historically and, and based on the amount of talent that Mexico has, they should be able to. Right. It, it really is all down to which Mexico shows up to the World Cup. Um, yeah. If it is the Mexico that, that got down to business and, and qualified no issues uh, for for the World Cup, then they may they may see out this group without issue, and, and it may be something we talk about of, oh, we thought this group would be tough, but uh, turns out, you know, Mexico navigated it with, with little issue. Yeah. I think with opponents like Iceland and Serbia, though, it could be one of those World Cups where it's like, wow, Mexico really had a chance here and and, and didn't take it. Um, as we kind of so often talk about Mexico of not, you know, really taking advantage of the talent they have at, at their disposal. But um, Herving Lozano um, is the is a player to watch for Mexico. I think he's yeah. turning into an absolute machine for for club and country. He's at PSV. I think honestly he's he's followed a similar path to uh, you know not to use an LFC legend's name in vain, but uh, to to Luis Suarez. So he he went to the Netherlands from Mexico. Um, and now he's scoring goals uh, like yeah. they're going out of style in the Dutch league. And uh, I think I think he may get his his big move after this after this World Cup if he uh, if he shows what he's what he's done for for club and country this year he may he may get his big move. But for these last two groups, um, I think we have we have a case. So. The second to last uh, may be straightforward, and the last is is anything but. But we've got uh, <laughs> we've got Group G is is Portugal and Colombia are the first two teams out of the pot, and then Sweden and Morocco. Um, I, I I think it's one of those groups where you have a clear demarcation between the top two and the bottom two. Yeah. Um, and really, it'll only be a you know a massive problem. Uh, or slip up at the uh, of the top two to you know keep Portugal or Colombia from from qualifying for the knockouts. Um, even with Sweden, you know, qualifying at at the expense of of Italy, which obviously uh, not an easy task. But with the disarray Italy's in, maybe maybe it was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I think for the the big question mark there is you know if. Zlatan comes out of retirement and fires Sweden into a last place group stage finish, which <laughs> I, I kind of hope will happen. Um, but no, I think uh, for for Colombia, uh, Rodriguez got a little bit left to prove, but Falcao's been so good for 
um, for Monica this oh, season. Absolutely that incredible. I I think they're they're going to be in the form that they need to be uh, to perform well in the group stage and and then the challenge beyond that. Yeah, and interesting that, you know, Falcao missed out on the last World Cup, which kind of allowed the room for for James to be the star that he was um, in 2014. But at this World Cup, as as odd as it seems, because Falcao obviously up there in years, but he's been so classy for Monaco. And and, uh, just I I could see him being a contender uh, in, you know, kind of Closa-esque fashion, um, for a, for a golden boot, um, you know, even though he's probably one of the old older players at the at the tournament. Oh yeah, but the World Cup seems to be generous too. <laughs> it always seems to be generous to uh, you know, it, it gives the youth their their stage. But um, I mean, just team said, I think the way that teams usually approach it's it's. It's not like your your typical league matches where they have that style of play. Almost every match is very calculated, um, and, and and kind of approached that way. So I think that kind of uh, fits Falcao's style of play, and I, I think it fits those kind of season strikers' style of play. Yeah, and and so as we move into this last group, this is this is interesting from from both a Liverpool standpoint and uh, <laughs> and from a uh, you know just a World Cup standpoint. So. We've got Group H, uh, Argentina, who was the last South American team to automatically qualify. Uh, they barely made it by the skin of their, skin of their teeth, um, and Messi obviously, you know, nearly missed out on a uh, probably what will be his last World Cup, um, and then <laughs> out of pot two, we have England. Um, <laughs> obviously drawn against Argentina, uh, because nothing can be straightforward for England, uh, which boasts the you know majority of LFC players. So we have you know Henderson, Sturridge, Lallana, uh, Klein if he's healthy, um, and and on uh, Iran, which is surprisingly the best team out of Asia in terms of their record in qualifying uh, better than Japan and South Korea, which is uh, probably a first I'd say. For, really? Uh, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> I wouldn't put, pick that. They were, they were uh, clear winners of their group um, in Asia. And then Nigeria, which is fresh off of a friendly victory over Argentina four to two. <laughs> uh, so drawn into the same group. So we've got Argentina, England, Iran, and Nigeria um, playing in the same group. I wouldn't, you could potentially toss, you know, four cards with each of these teams in the air and just pick the first two and, and say, <laughs> yep, these are the two that advance. There's, I mean, uh, there's almost it, nothing here to say who's going to go through to the next round. So a group I of think, death of its own, you know, yeah. style. With Argentina, though, it's so baffling. Why with with others, you think like, oh, the amount of talent they had, you know, they should do X, Y or Z. Right. Argentina barely got in. Yeah. Um, and the same is kind of said for England, too, with those two countries, just the uh, just given the size of the countries, the 
the importance of football for them to even have question marks surrounding them is so right. is so baffling too. So you know, I think we always want to see the LFC players do well. Um, I think it's it's good for the world if Messi does well and Ronaldo struggles, but that's just my own personal <laughs> opinion. I agree. That's a, well. So Iran sports one of uh, a a former target of LFC, but a, a player from, uh, Ruben Kazan. Um, and now I'm struggling to remember his name. Uh, or no, I say Ruben Kazan, but it's actually Rostov. Oh, I was going to say we need, we need a Jose. We need our stats guy. I know we need our stats guy big time. (laughs) Um, no, it's, uh, it's Rostov only because, uh, they made the they were the you know Leicester of Russia finished second uh qualified for the Champions League just out of nowhere were a very average team up until then and it was all on the back of where is he <laughs> how, far down the, how far down the list do we have to go I'm looking for him uh now I can't find him this is an LFC linked player he was, yeah. Um, why can I not find him? He scored in the Champions League, and it was a big deal because he was linked with he's linked with Liverpool. Whatever. Anyway, I may end up having to cut this from the whole uh, <laughs> from the whole <laughs> we'll, thing. But the we'll bottom line the bottom line we'll is is that Iran is is not a team that you now can can sleep on. They actually have a a pretty solid. Um, pretty solid squad um and and one that you know as costa rica did at the 2014 world cup can cause england problems we england just has this knack of finding a way to to just ruin or you know (laughs) blow their chances at the world cup and you know let uh in 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 2014 it was it was, uh, you know, everybody blamed Steven Gerrard for the header that allowed Luis Suarez to score uh, Uruguay's second goal. Or, um, yeah, I in was, 2010, I was it was it was the you know disallowed <laughs> or the the not given goal of Frank Lampard against Germany. That you know, it's just each of those moments just always is the the moment that that went against our, uh yeah. England and and in a group like this where it's Argentina, England, Iran and Nigeria there's so many opportunities for something <laughs> for to go wrong. <laughs> you know, there, there's so many chances for, you know, a, a Henderson back pass to let Alex Awobi score the score the winner for Nigeria. Um <laughs> and, and and I just each of these groups you can just you can just imagine the because of the pressure put on England and, and because the, the public just puts this absurd expectation, uh, on the backs of the England players, you can just see in every moment, um, and in every potential matchup, you can see these, (laughs) these, uh, these moments where, where England blow it. And in a group like that, where it's so up for grabs, you know, one of the last place teams from South America, the best team in Asia, one of the best teams in Africa, and and a you know solid team from Europe and England. You can just see the opportunities for for people to point fingers <laughs> at the England squad for not making the knockout round. Well, yeah, because what twenty fourteen it was kind of the the Liverpool squad 
that mm-hmm. that dominated England. And now it's kind of the the Tottenham squad a little bit. Yeah, that's, and I'm happy uh, for that. That's making it up. So yeah, <laughs> I hope Eric uh, Dyer has the worst World Cup. <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. I, and this is the last the you know this is kind of before the close, but I. <laughs> I really I I posted a little while ago that Jordan Henderson at his low point right now. I think LFC fans rate him lower than they have in his tenure at Liverpool. Yeah. Right at this moment. Um he is statistically better than Eric Dyer <laughs> in a, like 8 of 10 significant categories. Yeah. Peak Dyer too, like his yeah. run of form, yeah. Yeah, and it, so it, it's just absolutely baffling to me that that a guy like Eric Dyer gets so much credit, and and Jordan Henderson gets so much shit for the amount of for the amount of uh, of work that he does. And it's just it's something that'll always happen. It's not I people it's, form their opinions on a player, and it's just it's done. It's the Tottenham effect. Like, <laughs> why Pochettino? is Eric Dyer? Why is he good? Why is even even though they're saying he's one of the best regular? Why is Harry Kane good? I still can't. Ra- I see him play. I see him bad goals against Liverpool, and I'm thinking, uh, what what is happening in the world? Which, <laughs> I, I feel like I could put on some boots and go out there and do exactly what Harry Kane is doing. Like I'm a tall, gangly white guy, right? And he's like brushing off world class defenders. Like what? What is happening to these people well, that's think, allowing Harry Kane to be one of the best goal scorers in the world? I think the Liverpool game against Liverpool, or wow, against Tottenham, is is one of the best examples of why <laughs> we question why Harry Kane is so highly rated. Um, yep. He because all of his goals were highly preventable, <laughs> easily. Yeah, I mean, just basic. Basic, basic defending, and even your your little verbal slip right now was it was accurate. It wasn't Liverpool versus Spurs. It was uh, it was actually Dejan Lovren versus Liverpool. It was Liverpool versus Liverpool because I mean City was a one off, but that game against Spurs, you're just watching it like if if we just have and this goes all the way back to what we we're talking about with with the defense. Yeah, we need somebody to protect a midfield. We just need a competent center back, a defender that doesn't make mistakes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Harry Kane's the type of person that it's all, it's all coming together for him. So uh, God bless him, but I can't wait to see him on the way down. Yeah. I, he's one of those players where I look at and I think, okay, at the world cup, that's where he flickered, you know, his, his, his bright flame, is yeah. snuffed um, <laughs> it, because because it, it's not about it, I mean yes over whatever three group stage games it, it it's a lot about luck but the type of players that he'll face in the World Cup are a lot different than than what he faces uh, day in and week in and week out of the Premier League and, and yeah. he just God he. Yeah, he succeeds on the back of luck so often. It seems like so. Maybe yeah, make your own just luck, maybe so. he'll he'll his luck will come around, uh, you know, to a more normal level, and uh, and he'll be kind of exposed for the the average player that he is. 
the fraudulent world-class player that he somehow <laughs> managed to become. Yeah. He's off to Madrid next season anyways. He can join Gareth Bale. Um, but anyway, so I think I think now now is as good a time as any for us to 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 call it uh, an episode. But um, so a lot of a lot of strides have been made uh, in two red gringles. Jesus Christ, I'm fucking all over the place right now. Um, in two red See, gringles, it's episode world. one, baby. It's episode one. Yeah, no, we're back. Uh, we've we've had a good. Uh, a good first first episode for season four. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Two Red Gringos. Um, you can probably find our our personal Twitters from there, uh, and then uh, you can also find us at Two Red Gringos dot com. You can also find us on YouTube now. That's a new development. Yes. Um, it's, a it's a big one. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going up on YouTube. Um, Fun videos and goofy videos and uh, serious videos. Uh, If you want to see U.S. soccer stuff, that's probably where you'll find it from now on. The pods will be more (laughs) Liverpool-focused from from here on out. Um, And then uh, I'm also... We've also got a Two Red Gringos Instagram account now. Oh, I saw that. So uh, there's a lot going on in Two Red Gringos world. So it's best that that you stay tuned. (laughs) And, uh, and basically subscribe or follow or however, you know, each social media platform handles it. Uh, you get involved, um, at that, uh, at that location Two redgringos.com is probably the best place to start. Um, and our Twitter account at two red gringos is, is the next best place. Um, for Patrick Staley, this has been Phil Bakke. And I'm glad you've uh, glad you've stuck with us till this point. I hope you've enjoyed. Um, this has been season four, episode one of the Two Red Gringos. And uh, now I'm gonna have someone play us out. <laughs> I don't know who. We'll Wake up, let's stop moving.